Philippians 2, Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death of the cross. Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I know many of you know this passage well. You probably have it memorized. And I too, I love this passage. I really, really love it. And uh, in fact, I love the whole book. Of, I love the whole Bible. I love the whole book of Ephesians. So why don't you read that? Now, where do we start tonight? We're going to start in verse 1. Okay, verse 1. So therefore, now here's a little tip. When you see therefore, ask what it's there for. Ask what it's there for. Well, Paul in chapter 1 of Philippians had been given the believers instruction on how to stand firm against external conflict. And now moving into chapter 2, Paul turns his attention to instruction on how to solve internal conflict. Conflict within the body of Christ, conflict inside the church, not outside, not external. We're talking about inside. We're talking about an internal conflict. We're talking about Christians here, believers, followers of Christ. You might think, oh, now, Paul, that would never happen. That could never happen. Sure, we all love each other in the church. Sure, we're all the best of friends. I would never say anything that would, that would start a fight with anyone or cause division. I'm a good wee Christian. I love everyone, and everyone loves me. I'd do nothing that would cause anyone any hurt or harm. I can't believe you're saying that about me and my church. Paul, how dare you? Well, let me tell you something, church. It happened then and it happens now. People are people. And where people are, there will be problems. If you're there, there will be problems. And I can tell you, if I'm there, you bet there will be problems. So Paul wants to give some advice on how to make the ship sail a little smoother, how to get us to where we should be. He wants us to heed his instruction and act on it. Paul starts with this passage recorded, which we read in verses 1 to 4. And he wants to know if they have received the following things from God and if they have the responsibility to do what he will ask of them, okay? So it's all rhetorical. If there is any consolation in Christ, Paul understands, church, of course there's consolation in Christ, that there is an abundance of consolation in Christ. And he asks this, as I've said, as a rhetorical question. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians, For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds through Christ. And in 2 Thessalonians, he writes, God has loved us and given us everlasting consolation and good hope. 
by grace. Paul believed with all of his heart and with all of his mind, yes, there is this consolation in Christ. And the Philippians too, as believers, also had received this consolation in Jesus Christ. If there is any comfort in love, this is Paul's second rhetorical question, his second rhetorical statement. Paul believes in the comfort of love. He affirms this comfort of love in Christ. He himself had experienced miraculously the comfort and love of God. And in 2 Corinthians 1, Paul writes that God is the God of all comfort, the God of all comfort. There is no way God cannot comfort us, and there are no circumstances beyond his arms of comfort. The word comfort here actually means more than a soothing sympathy. It carries with it the idea of strengthening, of helping, and of making strong. Look, you, whoever watching tonight, have you ever felt God doing that for you? Have you ever felt his arms of comfort around you? I'm sure you have. Who has felt God giving them the strength when you had none and when you needed it? We all have, and so had the believers there in Philippi. If there is any fellowship of the Spirit, Another rhetorical question and statement from Paul the Apostle. Fellowship is the word koinonia, koinonia, and it means the sharing of all things in common. And here Paul is referring specifically to the believer's sharing of the Spirit, of having that fellowship with the Spirit, of being filled with the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, letting the Spirit guide and direct you. Then he says, if there is any affection and mercy... Paul's final rhetorical statement to the church. Paul assumes here that every believer, every follower of Jesus knows something of the mercy and affection of Christ. <clears throat> all of us as believers, all Christians everywhere, all over the world have experienced the mercy of God. They've experienced the affection of God. All believers know what it is to feel the affectionate love of Jesus in their lives. The Philippians knew what it was to see the mercy and affection of God in their lives and in their fellowship. Listen to what Adam Clark had to say about these verses. It is extremely difficult to give the force of these expressions. The, 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 they contain a torrent of most affecting eloquence, the apostle pouring out his whole heart to people whom he loved and were worthy of the love even of an apostle. Another commentator said these words, each of these gifts, consolation in Christ, comfort of love, fellowship of the Spirit, affection and mercy are communicated to us both in a direct spiritual way from Jesus and from Jesus through his people. There isn't any doubt that these are real gifts for Christians to really experience. Did you hear that? These are real gifts for believers to really experience. And I know you've experienced them all. Do you see what God has done for us in Christ? Do you see what God had done for the Philippian believers in Christ? The consolation in Christ, the comfort of love, the fellowship of his spirit and his mercy. He has given us all of these gifts. We have been recipients of all of these amazing gifts that Christ has given to us. And Paul tops it all off by pouring out his affection upon us in love. Now that Paul has told us what we have received, these amazing gifts from God, he tells us what we are then to do. What should our response be to these gifts from Jesus? 
Well, he says this, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. You know what? We could actually, I could sit down now, turn the microphone off. Does anything else need to be said? Listen to what Paul has just instructed us to do, like he instructed the Philippians to do, to be like-minded, to have the same love, to be of one accord, to be of one mind. Church, what do these four things speak of? It's on your screen. Unity, total and complete unity in love. A deep and abiding and eternal, a real and honest unity. Also notice that it was personal from Paul. It was a personal request. Fulfill my joy. Paul wrote, my joy. You see, Paul wanted the Philippians to take seriously what he was saying to them. It wasn't a take it or leave it throwaway comment. Paul actually wanted them to read it, to take it in and act on it and to invest in it. This is what Paul desired for the church in Philippi. And I believe it's what the Lord desires for his church today of which we are a part. In every church family, wherever believers are called together, unity is so vital and it's so key. It's so important. The church had received much. These believers had received so much and so have we. Consolation, love, comfort, the Holy Spirit, mercy and affection from Jesus. You know, the Philippians had to play their part and now we have to play ours too. We also must do what Paul asked of the believers at Philippi. I'll say them again, to be like-minded, to have the same love, to be of one accord and to be of one mind. Church, can I ask you, can we try to be like-minded? I know that when you have a group of people, there's gonna be differing opinions. There's gonna be very many ideas. I know that we can sometimes interpret the Bible in different ways. I know that our personalities can clash a little bit. We can be stroppy or grumpy or awkward to get along with. But I'm asking you, can we please just try to be like-minded on the things that really matter? I'm not worried about the trivial stuff, not the extra stuff, but the big stuff. Please, if you try, I'll try, and we'll all get along better. There will be a greater unity in our fellowship. And I know that loving some people is really, really, really difficult. Some people in the church just don't make it easy. I get that. But we have been called by Jesus, commanded by the Lord, the head of this body, to love one another. And this isn't a a wishy-washy, up and down love, but it's a true biblical, sacrificial, no matter what they say to you, no matter what they do to you kind of love. If you try your best, I'll try my best. And if we all try our best, we'll all have unity. We'll be closer to unity in the Lord. I know that being of one accord and of one mind is far easier to talk about. It's easier said than done. That's what I'm trying to say. But we've got to try. We've got to do it. We've got to have that bond of peace. We've got to have that unity because it commands the blessing of God. Let's all do what we can to help. Remember, unity is the goal. Unity, one mind, one accord. Well, how, Paul? Paul, tell us, how do we do this? Well, listen to these difficult words that the Philippians first heard or read 2,000 years ago, and they still apply to every fellowship, every assembly in the body of Christ today. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. 
Look, church, there's nothing wrong with ambition. For anyone listening, there's nothing wrong with ambition. Ambition can be a really good thing. It's a really positive thing. It's not a sin to be ambitious. It's not a sin to have desires, to have dreams, to have plans, or to have goals. It doesn't make you a bad person. But church, there's everything wrong with selfish ambition, which is an ambition that pushes other believers out of your way. It's an ambition that only concerns you and your opinion and your way and your desires and when you will do anything to get them for yourself. What's conceit? Conceit is thinking too highly of oneself. It's having an excessive self-interest and a self-preoccupation. In a sense, it's the polar opposite of humility. Conceit could actually be translated as empty glory. That's what it is. It's an empty glory. It's an excessive favorability with one's own ability, importance, and wit. And you know what? When we live with the feeling that we are so important, that we're the center of everything, that we're so able or so talented, we actually begin to function and work outside of God's will. I truly believe that. We start to work against unity and not for it. Do you want to know how you make sure it's not selfish ambition you have? Do you want to get rid of your conceit? Do you want to make sure you're working towards unity and not against it? Well, I'll let Paul tell you how, because he can do it better than I ever could. Here's how. In lowliness, in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself, and let each of you look out not only for his own needs, but also for the needs of others. Look, church, this goes against everything that the world and culture would tell us. It's all about the individual now. It's all about me and what I want and what I need and what I can get. Let's be honest. Those words of Paul go against everything inside of us. It goes against human nature, humility, lowliness, meekness, modesty, down-to-earthness. You know, these are characteristics that we should be fighting for. These are things that we should be seeking and want to have in our lives. These are the words that should describe us, but it's not always the case. You know, lowliness of mind is totally contradictory to the attitude of the world. It goes against us too. It doesn't come natural to us. I know it doesn't come natural to me. It fights against everything that I want and everything that I am as a human being. The great preacher Charles Spurgeon said these words, the apostle knew that to create concord, you need first to beget lowliness of mind. Men do not quarrel when their ambitions have come to an end. You see, if, you, if we all get rid of our selfish ambitions, we'll have nothing to quarrel about. There won't be any reason to fight. We are to esteem others better than ourselves. But how? Well, we are to simply have a concern for the needs of our brothers and sisters and their concerns. We will take time to be interested in what is going on in their lives and not just our own. You see, this outward-looking mentality, it will naturally lead to a sense of unity, a sense of love, a sense of peace among our fellow believers. If we could just all take a minute to get our eyes off ourselves, we would be so much closer to attaining that unity. If we could all just get a little bit more humility and meekness in our lives and stop thinking that we are the most important person in the room or in the world, it would go a long way to getting us closer to where we need to be. 
It's not hard to do, is it? But we seem to spend most of our time only interested in ourselves. Well, that needs to change. I need to change. You need to change. And when we all make a decision to change, we will move towards this idea of one mind, one accord in complete unity. Look, there's nothing wrong with having your own interests, but Paul wants us to look out for the interests of others. Don't get so caught up in your own little world, in your own little bubble, that you forget about the lives of those around you. It's easy to do. I get it. I've done it. We've all got our own stuff going on. I understand that. But we've got to make sure that we have our eyes open and we're looking out for the needs of others. There's people around us who have serious needs and we are here to meet those needs. Look, the church, I say it all the time, it's meant to be a family and families are meant to look out for each other. If we're not doing that, then we may as well forget about the whole thing, turn everything off and go home and not come back. I've told you, I've had my eyes on myself. I'm guilty of not seeing and not attending to what is going on around me in this family. You know what? Sometimes it is easier just to look away and think someone else will do something about it. But why don't you do it? Why don't you take it upon yourself tonight to send that wee text or call at the house or pick up the phone and call someone? Why don't you walk across the room next time you're at a service and ask that person, how are you doing? Do you know what? It might just meet that person's need. It might just make their day. Pick up the phone, call the person who's struggling. I know we have our own problems and issues. We all do, but we're not meant to be doing things alone. No man is an island. There's no I in team. All those silly cliches. But look, the truth is that I need you and you need me and we all need one another. Let's forget about our selfish ambitions. Let's leave our conceit behind when we turn the computer or the TV off tonight and get up tomorrow morning. Let's be meek and humble and lowly in mind. Let's start to esteem our brothers and sisters better than ourselves. Let's get our eyes off ourselves and look around in the church for the needs of others and let's start to meet them in love and with true compassion. Paul says this, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Let this mind. You know, the mind is a very interesting beast. It's a set of cognitive facilities. Here are some of them. Consciousness, imagination, perception, thinking, and your memory. The mind is Feelings and emotions which result in attitudes and actions. You can see it on the screen. Feelings and emotions equals attitudes and actions. And you know, if the mind, <clears throat> if our mind controls our feelings and our emotions which result in our actions and our attitudes, don't you think we better put our minds in the right place, have our minds in the right place, have our minds on the right thing? Don't you think that our minds should be on the Word of God and in line with the truth of the Word of God? I don't want my mind to be under the control of, of anyone or anything else but Jesus. He, he has to be my guide and my Lord. I don't want to give my mind to anyone or anything else. You see, what you say and what you do comes from your mind because that's where all your thinking and your imagination takes place. Your mind is your thoughts, your feelings, your emotions and actions all rolled into one. 
And that can be dangerous. And that's why we have got to bring our minds into submission under God and to his word. Listen to some of these scriptures that you know so well. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. If you want life and you want peace, get spiritually minded. Get your mind on the Lord. Get your mind in his word. And what about this other passage from Colossians? If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Listen, set your, minds on, set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Church, we are to seek those things which are above. We are to set our minds on Christ. We need to keep our thoughts focused on him and on him alone. We need to keep our minds in the word, reading the word, studying the word, applying the word and living the word. And all of us then as believers need to be in unity. We also need an example of this, of how to live, of how to behave, of how to exist. We need an example to show us how to put all of this stuff that Paul has written to the Philippians into practice. Well, who do we look at? Who do we look to? Well, Paul told us, have the mind of Christ. Jesus Christ, he is to be our example. He is to be our example. And in this passage, we find three simple characteristics that Jesus modeled while he was on this earth doing his ministry. The first one is humility. Humility. Humility is freedom from pride or arrogance. It's the quality or state of being humble. We could use other words like lowly, meek, modest, and my favorite, down to earthness. I was listening to a podcast during the week and I heard this, someone talking about humility and they said, it's not thinking of yourself less, it's thinking less about yourself. Okay, it's not thinking, did I say that right? I can't, I don't know if I've said that right. It's not thinking about, it's not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking about yourself less. Well, look at the example of Jesus. He made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a servant, and he came in the likeness of men. Found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself. He took the form of a servant. God, the Almighty God, took the form of a servant, completely humbled himself. He came as a servant clothed in humility. As you can see on the screen, the second is obedience. And Jesus modeled for us obedience. It's compliance with an order, a request, or law. It's submission to another authority. Being obedient is simply doing or willing to do what you have been told to do by someone who carries authority over you. And if Jesus is Lord of your life, he is the authority in your life. We can choose to obey or not. We can choose to obey him or not to obey him. But you know what? There's usually a consequence for disobedience. So always better to go the other way and do what the Lord has commanded you to do. Jesus is a perfect example of obedience. He humbled himself and became obedient. And you know what? Obedience often follows right after humility. If you can get the humility right, you'll get the obedience right. And the third thing you can see is sacrifice. Jesus became obedient to the point of death, 
even the death on the cross. To sacrifice is to lose something or give up something, usually for the sake of a better cause. To sacrifice is to give up something valued for the sake of other considerations, other people's considerations in this context. It's the act of giving up something valued for the sake of something else regarded as more important or worthy. And we know how Jesus modeled sacrifice perfectly on the cross, at Golgotha, at Calvary. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Jesus Christ. Church, it's a choice. It's something that we make a conscious decision with our minds to do, hopefully with our transformed minds. It won't be forced upon you. You won't wake up tomorrow with the same mind that Jesus modeled for us. It takes effort and it takes time. It takes time in prayer. It takes time in the Word. It takes time spent in the presence of Jesus. And Jesus has set us a very, very high standard. I'm not saying that we are to attain his standard, but his standard is the goal. Humility, love, sacrifice, obedience in its purest form, true and perfect obedience. He wasn't interested in his own will, only in the will of God, and we should be the same. And then he made the greatest sacrifice that any man ever could. I read it this morning, greater love, there's no greater love than to lay down your life for one's friends. And that's what the Lord did. Humility, obedience, and sacrifice. Look, where is your life tonight or today, whenever you're watching? Where's your life in terms of humility and obedience and in sacrifice? Are they even present? Do you have humility? Or are you full of arrogance, pride, and only concerned with yourself? Are you filled with selfish ambition and conceit? Or are you lowly of mind and are you considering and putting others, preferring one another, preferring others before yourselves, sorry? We're to look out for the needs of others and then go and meet them. What does our obedience sit in relation to that of Jesus Christ? Maybe we shouldn't even answer that. Maybe we, we are so far from his standard. Are you fully surrendered to him? Is every part of your life, your mind, your will, your desires, your dreams and emotions, are they all surrendered to him? Are you living in full submission to Jesus and to the word of God? Do you even care about the commandments of God? Do you even care about living by them? Well, church, we need to be fully and completely surrendered to him. And if you've got stuff to fix, tonight's a good time to fix it. We're to live in full obedience to his word. And when he speaks, when he says, go or do, we have to say, your will, Lord, not mine. That would be a much better place to be in. And then sacrifice. Look, I'm not saying that God wants us to give up our lives tonight. And Jesus died so that we wouldn't have to. But is there any sign of sacrifice in your life? Are you prepared to give up something that you value yourself for the sake of the kingdom and for others? Are you prepared to sacrifice anything at all? Are you prepared to sacrifice your time, your money, your gifts? Will you make a sacrifice so that people can hear the gospel? Will you sacrifice your time and energy so that others have their needs met and met by you? We're all called to make sacrifices. And we're called to make sacrifices if we are to be all that Jesus wants us to be. If we decided tonight, church, 
If we all made the decision, I am choosing to have the mind of Christ. I am choosing humility. I am choosing obedience. I am choosing sacrifice. I am putting others before myself. I'm choosing love and peace and joy. I'm done with selfish ambition and I'm choosing to serve others in love with compassion and peace. And I'm choosing to encourage and build up and never to be the cause of division in this family. There would be unity. If we all did that, there would be such a unity in this body, in this family. We would be of one mind and of one accord, united. Paul would say to us now, as we're watching, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind, the mind of Christ. I'm gonna try and be as Christ-like as I can. I'm gonna do my best and I want you to do the same. And Jesus, as I've said, he is the perfect model. He's the ultimate standard. And you know what? That's not lie. That's not, it, it's a struggle. It will be a struggle at times and it's tough. I'll feel and you'll feel. But if we even try, it will all be worth it. And it's the best thing we could ever do for the unity in this church. I love you all and I pray that you can love me right back. Remember, we are his church, we are his body, and we need to have his mind in us, the mind of Christ. We need to be transformed by the renewing of our minds so that we have the mind of Christ. And then we can become one, in one accord, in one mind, and in unity. And I read it earlier, where there is unity, God commands a blessing if we had that unity, if we were in one mind, in one accord with that mind of Christ in humility, obedience and sacrifice, love and compassion and all those things that come along with that. Church, think about the blessing that we could have. Think about what God could do through us. Think, think about what God would do for us if we could just get unity right. Thanks so much for listening tonight. I hope you've enjoyed the word. And we're just going to sing one song as a kind of response to the word tonight.